Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Hella Interesting People. My name is Mike Ruby. And I'm Jacob Rubin. And this is our show. This is the third episode yep. in which we interview a spacecraft engineer by the name of Rich Meitzler. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this interview. I mm -hmm. mean, we talk a lot about the great beyond and kind of nerd out about outer space. Science fans, this one's for you. This one's the one where we really get into like the nitty gritty of the... If you're a fan of movies like Apollo 13, The Right Stuff, uh, Titanic, uh, Toy Story 2... Uh, oh my God! Uh, walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. Let me see. What are you getting at? I, I just, I just like movies. You're man. just naming movies, yeah. man. But if you like, if you like stuff about space, if you've ever, when you're visiting a town and they have an air and space museum, you're like, that's something I want to check out. This is the episode for you. Have you fucked with the air and space museum in DC? Yeah. So there's two of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's one in DC, which is very cool. And then they have one out near Dulles Airport, mm -hmm. um, and it's also part of like the Smithsonian uh, Institution. Right, that's the one I've been to. It's essentially just a big kind of airplane hangar, and they just have all of these like previously used spacecrafts and rocket ships. Dope, dope. So they have the Discovery, which is kind of the main attraction there. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the Enola Gay, which is pretty haunting. Whoa. It's heavy, man. That like, dropped the atom bomb, correct? Yeah. Yikes. And they have that. Th so it's like... It's not just about outer space. It's sort of like an aviation sure. museum as well. It's very cool. That's cool. I would, I'd like to go there with Rich because he'd probably know yeah. so much more than what the little placards right. tell he'd you. Right. He'd probably be able to point out something and be like, they didn't need that. That <laughs> right. was a bad idea. That's not designed well. Yeah. <laughs> That's stupid. That sucks. Don't use that. Surprise, that didn't kill anybody. Yeah. Because knowing Rich, he's just such a, like, a positive, chill guy. Yeah. And I really like the idea of him just showing up there going like, no. <laughs> I fucking hate this. Uh, have you? Okay, but here's something I've done. I don't know if you've done this. Uh, in Orlando, NASA, the spot, the like museum park thingy. Have you been down there? No. It's... Fucking rips, dude. I mean, it's set up like a theme park, which is already wild. And yet, and they have like rides, quote unquote, but it's more about just like experiencing science in such a cinematic and incredible fashion. Like they have, you, they have a spot where you sit um, in these bleachers and they recreated the bay, like the mission bay where they observed the moon landing. Like right. when that, like the dudes, you know, and the, and they all like are high-fiving and hugging each other in the movies and shit. Um, and so you sit in there, and they recreate the moment when the, the landing actually happened. And then they have a whole thing about the shuttles, and they started in the shuttle programs, which they were like, all right, we're not just building rockets anymore. We're building vessels that can go up and back, back and forth. How are we going to make this happen? Um, and I, it's stunningly fascinating and laid out in such a cool, user-friendly, like almost Disney World way. I had no idea. Yeah. I don't uh, recommend Orlando as a concept. <laughs> um, basically, the entirety of Florida is like, all it's, right. It's I'd, hot there. I'd say like 3% of the things in Florida are dope as fuck. And then the rest of it is like, we don't need this. So <laughs> if they could just distill the state into like NASA, Disney World, like four beaches and Pitbull, then we're And good. like an orange grove. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to keep the oranges. Yeah, you can't get rid of the oranges. Universal, Universal Studios to stick around. Harry Potter World and shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Florida is just like it's a it's a walking nightmare, but NASA is interesting as fuck. Straight up. With that, let's get into our talk with Rich Meitzler, spacecraft engineer. 
any questions, I do owe you an apology because I reached out to you on Friday uh, asking if you could do this interview, and I uh-huh. uh, was subsequently informed that Friday was your birthday. Oh, that's true. So, <laughs> it was. Happy birthday. Uh, I, I am um, sufficiently into high-numbered birthdays that uh, <laughs> they have lost their specialness in all forms. Let's put it that that's way. That's true. Well, I, I hope you celebrate it in some form or another. Uh, actually, I, was, I drove up to Boston to pick up uh, Tristan from BU. Oh. That's, cool. that's what you did on your birthday? Yeah. You drove to Boston? Yeah. That, that's great. You drove to Boston. You got invited to a podcast. Yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's a big day for me. Fantastic. You know? Boston from I where, quiet you, life, so right. where you live in uh, in Boston. Mount Airy, Maryland. So that's a uh, right. That's a trek. About seven hours in the car. Yeah. So. Jeez. Each way. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But well, I, I, I we drove back yesterday. So oh okay. Had, oh, so you there was like many hours there. of um, <laughs> uh, packing in between. So. Okay. So <laughs> sorry. In my head, when you say pick someone up. For some reason, I guess I, I didn't, I, I imagine that you didn't even get out of the car. She just gets out comes <laughs> in and turn right around, back, right back to Maryland. <laughs> no, but I actually, I did offer to do the same thing for his roommate, if need be, because his roommate actually lives in, um, uh, is from Bangalore in India. And uh, so you were going to pick him up and he's getting it while he's getting home. No, he was going to take drive him to drive him there. Yeah. (laughs) No, his his getting home situation is kind of dicey right now. uh, Yeah. Because of the health situation there. Oh, yes. Oh, goodness. Um, I want to talk about uh, who you are, what you do. You are Mm -hmm. the principal professional staff engineer at Applied Physics Laboratory. Is that the correct yes. title? Yeah, I'm principal professional staff. That's sort of a, uh, a a designation for you know the uh, level of engineering technical staff that I am. So, uh, and then from there, you know, people sometimes will add various things on to describe what they do. And you know, I I basically work in a group that does electronics for spacecraft. Right. So, okay, so you design shit and it goes into space. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah right. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we're done here right? right so when you say electronic spacecraft i like i'm guessing that in, that separates you from another division that makes non-electronic spacecraft or or did i just ask a stupid question no no well no it's the the electronics portion of the spacecraft because you know oh, all okay. spacecraft have you know electronics but there's other disciplines uh groups that would do the mechanical engineering so they would do the spacecraft structure or they might help to design the propulsion systems on the spacecraft there's groups that do the the radio and the telecommunication system for the spacecraft which is also you know electronics but just a different kind right so so our our uh sort of the group that i'm in works on kind of the the main computer that's in the spacecraft that kind of runs the spacecraft and does the interfaces to all the other the electrical interfaces to all the other things that make the spacecraft go you know so sensors and of course the you know uh their um spacecraft uh, largely for NASA. So they're scientific observatories. So they have Ooh. scientific instruments that are on them. And that's really the reason that, you know, the spacecraft are built and developed is, you know, for, for science, for furthering knowledge. Okay. So the plural of spacecraft is spacecraft. 
Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Spacecraft died. Okay. So I know that uh, APL, Applied Physics Laboratory, uh, you mm -hmm. don't build rockets. That's a that's, no. that's like a NASA thing and a SpaceX thing and a, a right exactly. Know, Exactly. Yes. The the, the term usually used is uh, uh, launch vehicles. So we are not a launch vehicle uh, company or a, a launch vehicle organization. But you do build things that are labeled as spacecraft. Uh, exactly. So let's break that down a little. What are the functions of some of these pieces of machinery? So basically, uh, what will happen is the the sp spacecraft is uh, you know writ large, it's a mission, right? So it's a science mission, it may orbit the Earth, or it may go to another planet. And then um, that that full spacecraft that goes there has, uh, you know, I'll say the, the core of the spacecraft itself, which is what I tend to work on, they call it the bus a lot of times. So that is what all the, the all the instruments ride on the bus. So you have the spacecraft bus and the instruments. And that is all basically what sits up at the top of the rocket with the launch vehicle and ultimately gets you know, launched into space uh, on some you know, trajectory, either again, orbital or to another planet, wherever. And so, so that's, you know, writ large, that's the, the basic breakdown of things. And then if you go a little bit further, then it depends on, well, what is your mission, you know, for the instruments? <clears throat> is it something, you know, you might have cameras, you might have things that sense magnetic fields, um, uh, you might have things that sense charged particles, all these things are, you know, important for planetary science, for instance, or for solar science. And um, that's all is collectively referred to as the payload for the mission. And then the bus itself has all the support functions for that. So it's got a computer, it has the radio, and the telecommunication system to talk back to Earth, for instance. It has a power system. So just like uh, spacecrafts have usually solar panels and batteries and you know, um, just like you have an electrical panel in your home that switches power to various parts of your home, spacecraft has that too. That's crazy. I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because I don't know. <laughs> I know so I'm, little, first of all, about engineering, and I don't even know about space that much, if I'm being perfectly honest, like about astronomy, about like, about solar and planetary science and like what exactly it's for. I'm, I'm not saying I don't understand the purpose of it, but I don't understand, I guess, the entire purpose of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, so... Can you embellish more on like, so what are some of the things that these machines do? I want to know a little more about that. So for instance, they may go uh, to uh, maybe an interplanetary spacecraft. It goes to another planet and usually there's some sort of a camera and there may be multiple kinds of cameras because they want to, you know, learn more, you know, get visuals in much greater detail than you could get from earth, you know, even a large telescope or even say the Hubble telescope from earth. Uh, it may be specialized cameras that can also see in other wavelengths of light that are different than, you know, what we can see with our eyes and that can help to characterize all the materials that are in a planet that, that are part of a planet for instance. So they tend to want to do a lot of characterization in general, but then there may be other things that are particularly interesting about, you know, about a planet. If we 
been there before. Um, so usually there's a sort of a scouting, one or more scouting sort of missions, but then it may be, you know, they want to come back and look for things in particular. Okay. So we've been to Mars, right? Mm -hmm. So right. we find out that Mars is made of uh, rocks and water and alien urine. No, I don't know. I'm just making <laughs> But like, then what do you do with that information? Like you find out Mars is made of these elements, these, these components. Then how do you apply that? Right. So then, then what you, you start to do is you start getting all these individual pieces of information and start putting them together into a more, you know, detailed, fuller story about, for, you know, in the case of Mars, what about the evolution of, of you know, the role water has played on Mars and then, you know, people are interested, well, if there's water, maybe there's life. That's always the big question, especially for Mars. But you can say, well, look, I've got these materials, you know, different compositions of things uh, that I've discovered on Mars. And Mars certainly is the, you know, the best studied planet that we have. So we have great visuals. There's, there's actually something, uh, a spacecraft that's been orbiting Mars for a number of years called uh, MRO, Mars Reconnaissance uh, Observer. And MRO has has these all all these fabulous pictures that we've seen of Mars from space with the deltas and the and the uh, areas where water has obviously flowed in the past and, and mountains all taken from from uh, you know, on high so to speak. Um, although that can be combined with information about what materials are on there and it starts to play it starts to make a better uh story about ah at some point maybe there was water because we know these sorts of minerals are in this area you know so you right. have to sort of put stuff together in that way do you think there's life on mars well i think if there i don't know it's so i should very first caveat i am not a scientist nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> um, so, but I would say that what we, I think, you know, there's a, certainly a chance, uh, a more a greater likelihood that there was in the past and there is now. It was also likely that it was probably very simple sorts of life, you know, maybe, you know, equivalent of single cell or very, very, very primitive forms of life that there was not, you know, Marvin the Martian wasn't running mm -hmm. around on the surface and stuff like that necessarily. Right. right. So, so like Mars elephant. It's almost as if to say that Earth and Mars might have been developing similar life forms at the same time, but then Mars sort of like didn't really finish the job that Earth did. Right. Yeah, I think that's, it seems like that's a real possibility to me. Um, but again, not being a Mars scientist, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many differing opinions, even within the Mars science community about, sure. you know, what the likelihoods are. So you're not, I actually thought you were, your background is in ed engineering. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. What is your, uh, your education, your degree? Oh, electrical, electrical engineering. So, okay. I, Okay, where did you go to school? Uh, I went to actually Penn State for undergrad and uh, Johns Hopkins for graduate school. And so okay, not and not too far away. <laughs> is that is that how you got connect? Because APL is through Johns Hopkins University. Exactly, exactly. And so what happened? No, it's a more little more circuitous than that. But uh, it you know was certainly I I had worked for other non space oriented companies for. Uh, a while after getting out of school. 
but certainly, you know, knew about APL and had uh, one of my, uh, <coughs> my readers for my dissertation and really, uh, you know, uh, played a, a major role in my graduate education was at APL in the space department. So um, I certainly knew about the, you know, space at APL and uh, um, was very happy that, you know, opportunity came up that uh, I was able to uh, uh, go and work there um, now for almost 20 years. Interesting. Going, we're going to go back chronologically. Um, as a kid, were you a space nerd? Like, did you have the, the, the fucking, uh, you know, glow in the dark stars on your ceiling? And did you want to be an astronaut and all that? Oh, I don't know if I wanted to be an astronaut. I'm not sure if I was that courageous, quite frankly. But uh, I, my, my nerdiness was many faceted, but uh, space was definitely a big part of it. So yeah, I, I, I was very, uh, you know, I can remember looking at uh, stuff for the Voyager spacecraft when they were flying and, and uh, you know, these amazing pictures, the first really some phenomenal pictures of uh, Jupiter and Saturn and things like that. I just think it was all just amazing. So how, how old were you? And I'm going to feel really bad if you weren't born yet. Cause that, that would be me calling you old, but how old were you? And like, where were you for the moon landing? Oh, let's see. Well, let's see. I, 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 I was born just barely. Um, okay. I can, I can only remember, I want to say as, as a kid uh, watching, I think the very last Apollo launch and, and seeing that on TV. So I was probably, uh, uh, probably not quite 10 years old, uh, but thinking it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. There's, so, there's, yeah. not, there's not been something, I mean, Jacob, maybe you, disagree with this but there's not been something in our lifetime where like i've just been glued to the tv and fascination like there's i mean there's 9-11 but that was sort of a different kind of fascination you know not like Maybe. a planned event like that well i mean space stuff stuff going to landing on mars or i mean the spacex launches happen all the time and including a, a fairly important one in the last year that i can't remember but uh yeah it's it's the the now that we've, I feel like we went to the moon and that everyone in America was like, all right, we did it. Now we can go back to our phones. We're right, now. right. We're just like, yeah, yeah, Mars. Yeah, yeah that's, you know, that's great. That's great. Yeah. To Mars. Well, like eventually, I mean, an amazing feat. When someone gets to Mars, I, which I feel like will happen in human history, I don't know if it'll necessarily happen in our lifetime, but when that happens. Uh, actually, here's a question for you, Rich. Do you think that will, that we'll have people on Mars in the next, let's say, 30 years? Um, I think we might actually. I think it's a okay. real possibility. Um, I think, I think that you know the the hard <clears throat> some of the hard stuff is is really not very. It's also it's really hard and it's not very uh, splashy. You know things like radiation and stuff like that. It's just kind of slow and a, a grinding but debilitating you know, effect on, on the human body and how do we protect people from that and stuff like that is, is, you know, as much of a limit as, you know, all we need is a much bigger rocket, you know, that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's, I think it's a real possibility. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, we're seeing a real, I think an acceleration here of uh, space exploration. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and, and a renewed interest in it. 
it's about 35 days, right? That's how long it takes for us to launch something from here. Oh, to get to Mars? Yeah. No, right. I, I don't Am know I the, it, oh. yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it is, I'm not quite sure, but it is many months. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Somebody gave me the wrong info on that. I, I am, boy, you know, we, we may have to revisit this, uh, but uh, it, it is, it is a, you know, it's a fairly long time. Okay, okay, so it's not just like a jaunt up to Boston to pick your son up from college <laughs> and back. And back yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, but they don't have to handle the GW bridge, so you know that. Okay, you know, I mean, you want something really hard, uh, go for that. I mean, if, if if what we've heard about you is true, you'll you'll drive to Bangalore, so you should really be on this project. <laughs> right, you're a very patient man. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, it, it's it's many months. I don't know how long, but I mean, really, your your minimum trip to mars and then there's a certain amount of time where you have to wait for mars to get back in the right uh position and stuff like of that. course yeah. is, is i think uh uh two and a half years maybe i could be wrong there but it, it's it's a long the, the whole round trip by the time you actually get there and then can find the winner to get back is it's a while shit and so, good lord yeah yeah it's a commitment <laughs> well i will take my name off the list <laughs> I'm going to keep mine on there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when my son goes to college or something and I, I won't have to pick him up. Uh, right. <laughs> so I was, I was reading a little bit about APL and okay. so based, based on what you told me, it's uh, it contracts government bodies like NASA, the department of defense, but APL itself is a privately owned nonprofit. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a five hundred one c three kind of. Deal? Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure legally what it is. It's not a. It's not a. A, a uh, you know accepting donations kind of nonprofit, <laughs> but it's. A, yeah. It is a not. Yeah, we are. We are nonprofit. So for just the price of a cup of coffee a day, <laughs> <laughs> you can adopt a Martian. <laughs> <laughs> So, but they've you know so in in on the space side of things, uh, you know they've been uh, you know doing spacecraft. Um, the early early stuff was really uh, a set of satellites called the Transit, uh, which was in, from the '60s and it's for the Navy as a precursor to uh, GPS, but um, has been doing uh, a number of interplanetary craft um, really for the past you know. 20 plus years and earth orbiting spacecraft too so were you involved in the mission to pluto um i was i i worked on a computer chip that was uh on there uh program reprogrammable or programmable computer chip so yeah i i was it's uh it it's interesting how you know that's something that uh is gives you a lot of pride certainly you know participating in a project that you know has many many hundreds of people you know it's mm-hmm. a very very large effort obviously i mean fucking pluto that is so unfathomably far away like mars is far it's mm-hmm. it's impressive as shit to get to mars but mm-hmm. pluto like i mean i i can't even like i can't even wrap my mind around how far away pluto is yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is kind of. It is kind of crazy. Uh, I know because it was a flyby mission, uh, 
And it was really, I, I want to say that, you know, the, the core of the, uh, the flyby, the closest part of the flyby was really, you know, done by the time, you know, you get the, the transmission from the spacecraft back to earth that, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've flown by and now I'm going to, you know, I've taken all the pictures and I've, I've taken all this data and now I'm going to, you know, spin around and now I'm going to point it to earth. And I forget how many months it took because so far away, you can only transmit data at a very low rate. Uh, worse than dial-up even. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that uh, it is, uh, it took many, many months to, you know, downlink all the pictures and other data um, uh, to Earth from the flyby. What year was that? When did that take place? Uh, the flyby, I want to say was, oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble now. Uh, 20, I think 14, um, I believe, uh, or 2015. I'm not trying to remember uh, the exact year. It was, I believe, 2015, since I think it was about nine years after launch. So, and it's still flying. So, um, it's still out. Where? where? Like near um, <laughs> beyond, beyond, so beyond. Um, uh, Pluto is something called the, uh, the, I believe it's pronounced the Kuiper Belt, K-U-I-P-E-R. And that's sort of a, an area of space that is it's not interstellar space or anything like that. But, you know, there is a, an, it's very, very large, but there is thought to be, you know, a, or it's known that there's a number of very, very small, you know, uh, things that are not planet-sized, but uh, small rocky bodies uh, that are in that, that area. And uh, they were able to actually find one and direct the New Horizons spacecraft uh, that went to Pluto to fly by that uh, as oh, well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that before or after the Oort cloud? That's before. Um, I think that's before, yes. Okay, so, yeah. Oort cloud, I, I think, is like the farthest edge of, uh, of what our sun has influence on exactly yeah, yeah. And, and beyond there then it's then i think you you're technically in inter interstellar space yeah do i mean will we be able to get information i mean i i'd imagine that if it continues that it's it'll make it to the Oort cloud yeah i uh, i think that um <clears throat> i think that uh really what will happen one of the things that's very uh different uh, about uh, that particular spacecraft is that it's powered by um, um, uh, something called a radioisotope thermal generator. Basically, it has you know some radioactive material in it, generates heat, and the heat is converted to electricity. So it's going to be able to run for uh, actually a, f a fairly long time, and I believe it's on the order of uh, you know another. 10 years to 20 years or something like that. It's, it's a fairly long time before the radioactivity decays enough that it can't produce enough power to, to keep working basically. So the Voyager spacecraft, uh, one of which uh, I know at least is already uh, sort of passed into um, the heliopause, sort of the, the uh, border, the, the boundary line between the influence of the sun and interstellar space and is transitioning <clears throat> into interstellar space. It also has one of these, uh, you know, generators for electric power. It's why it can live for so long. Otherwise the sunlight, there'd be almost no sunlight and your solar panels wouldn't work. So we're talking 
like we're outside of our solar system now. We've we've gone beyond our solar system I, at this point. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, that it's in this transition region now where your your uh, uh, Voyager at least is transitioning into the region that's more, you know leaving our solar system and into interstellar space. Again, there's more scientists to you should really get some space scientists on next uh and they could they could really dig deep for you you know i'm i'm uh you know okay so let's well versed uh, like i mean I, I i could talk all day about you know the trippiness of the galaxy and the universe and all that but talking it a little bit cool. more about your profession um okay so if we're talking about the process of concept conceptualization all the way mm -hmm. to getting a thing into space where in that right. progression do you lie? Oh, so I am sort of in the middle part. So we, you know, they, a lot of these missions are conceived of and then, you know, they work um, with uh, especially, you know, the science community uh, and it's an interactive even with the uh, feedback NASA has uh, decadal studies that they have, and that helps to guide what science they think is the most uh, highest priority. Um, but they may be under development for, uh, you know, years uh, before they're actually uh, proposed and awarded. Some of them are, you know, uh, done through competitive uh, proposals. Uh, there's a, NASA has several programs like New Frontiers program, the Discovery Pro program. And then once they're awarded to an organization, then you get into, you know, sort of the more detailed design of it. So before you have, you know, I'll say a feasibility study, but then at some point it's like, okay, now we really need to, you know, in our case, you know, figure out what we need to, um, interfaces that we need, things we need to talk to, functions we need to have. And then it looks like, uh, it looks like uh, an electrical engineering development from our perspective. You know, we're going to be picking out parts that we want to have on the board. We have layout printed circuit boards, design and layout printed circuit boards and build uh, preliminary versions of them and test them in electronics labs and everything else. And so that's really where we get busy. And how much of this is hands-on versus at a computer plugging in algorithms? Oh, so it actually, it, it starts in the beginning a little bit more computer work, but we are, uh, this particular group, uh, folks that uh, I work with are very hands-on sort of once, you know, stuff actually gets built and you take it into the lab and, you know, oscilloscopes and, you know, meters and all sorts of other things to measure, uh, uh, you know, do measurements and uh, assess their performance and you know, test equipment and things like that. So it is, it, it's a very hands-on, uh, there's a very hands-on phase. So you get to, I mean, physically build some of this stuff mm -hmm. that yeah. goes into space. Yeah, yeah, you go through several iterations where, you know, first you sort of uh, do a, a trial version, but at some point you do, you know, you, you work on the real, um, you know, computer boards and stuff like that that are going to ultimately be put together and, uh, you know, delivered uh, to the spacecraft and multiple organizations do that. And then there's a whole separate discipline of folks that, um, that, put together you know their job is spacecraft integration basically so you could physically touch something that will wind up in space and theoretically like carve your initials into it <laughs> i'm not saying you should 
Uh, no, yeah, well, I am. You, you should do that. You, you, <laughs> so, so the thing about space, uh, electronics that actually go into space, or just about anything that goes into space, is there's a lot of inspections and double checks. So if we had a little, you know, if I had a little uh, graffiti on there or something like that, uh, you know, I, I would... <laughs> Don't think it would make it through, but uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of neat. Um, I can remember early on in uh, my career uh, at at the at the applied physics lab. Um, first, one of the first things I was given to do was to work on a small board that was going into uh, actually the uh, communications uh, tele telecom subsystem, and looking at this little board and saying, "Wow, this is really cool. This thing is going to be going around the planet Mercury someday." How cool is that? that so is cool. yeah, that's that's very neat. Very very fun. So uh, of the various things that you've worked on, I mean, maybe you just answered that question, but which of the various things that you've worked on uh, would you consider to be your proudest accomplishment? Oh gosh, um, I I don't even I boy I'm going to be the worst uh, at answering this question. So I it, it's very it would be very tough uh, I think to pick in, in part because I've done a number of different, worked on a number of different things. I've worked on boards, I've worked on programmable, programmable chips that go into the spacecraft. I've worked on uh, specialty chips that go in the spacecraft. And some of those are flying. I, you know, that was really how I got it. Um, that, that was really my, the core of my uh, technical training was really related to computer chips and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. some of that work in that area, I think is, is probably, uh, you know, to date has been the, you know, some of the really neat things that I'm pleased about. I want to talk about planetary defense because I just, I learned this as a phrase and like okay. before I thought it was just like, you know, Trump's space force or some bullshit, but like planetary huh. defense is a thing that is in fact very legitimate. Um, have you, have you ever been involved in projects where the mission is to like destroy an asteroid headed for earth? So funny you should mention, uh, I have I have not done work directly for it, but APL is working on a spacecraft, which is actually um, being put together now called DART. Uh, it's a NASA mission. And <clears throat> DART, uh, its primary goal is to smack into a moon of an asteroid. So asteroids can have you know, it's a larger asteroid that has a very small asteroid orbiting it. And um, look at the deflection of that um, uh, moon. And that will be used to inform future planetary defense, uh, you know, decisions by NASA. So the long answer is say, yeah, you know. <laughs> mm. And like, so planetary defense is literally defending earth from being hit by projectiles that could kill mass amounts of people exactly exactly like the game missile command yeah <laughs> well except it's not except it's not you know missiles it's it's missiles right. for it's it's naturally occurring yeah yeah it, it's kind of it, it is kind of interesting it's kind of ironic too though as you you know build this you know, all spacecraft are fairly exquisite, precise things most of the time. And, and you're like, oh, we're going to work on this. And then we're going to smash it into something as hard as we can, you know. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's, uh, again, that, that's something that is um, you know, being 
being assembled now as we speak. And uh, uh, the, you know, uh, folks that I work with have, have done quite a bit of work on the electronics for that. So really neat. I, I want to take a moment and retract my earlier statement about how long it takes to get to Mars, because I just remember that I've seen the movie The Martian multiple times, and I know that that definitely can't be the thing that I said. Can't be true. <laughs> uh, so for well, those it does of you have Matt Damon, you know, I mean, right. there's always, uh, you know, he, he sort of breaks the laws of physics sometimes. He's that good. I mean, the best scene in that movie is when Donald Glover's like, then you, you're going to swing the ship or using the orbit of the Earth to swing it back to Mars. So of course it takes months. I, I, so I'd like to apologize to all, all of our listeners for my complete science disregarding, but this does actually lead to a real question that I have for you. Um, uh, I assume that you, uh, you mentioned that you're, you're a bit of a nerd. Actually, could you expand a bit on, on the, the nerdy aspects? What sort of stuff do you nerd out about? Oh, uh, what sort of stuff I, I nerd out about? Well, actually, you know, so I have, especially since working uh, in the field I do, I, I've, I've, you know, that has uh, rekindled my interest in uh, uh, space and stuff like that. But I also, you know, so, you know, I uh, haven't done it a little bit, make my own, uh, do home brewing. So that's, that's, that's got a good, there's a sort of a, uh, a whole nerdy uh, subculture there. And uh, you can nerd out about uh, all, um I'm trying to think what else. Home, home brewing like beer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. See, normally when I hear people say homebrew without saying what they're brewing, I because of my circle, it's like, oh, are you like making a game? But yeah, okay, I understand. Right, right. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Tea, no. I don't know. Tea, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. It's a lot of commercial stuff. Get into so. alchemy. <laughs> That's real exactly. nerdy right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get that gold, man. We're going to make it. <laughs> I'm going to turn these, my coin collection into solid gold. So, uh, but, but I guess, so if considering you're, you're likely aware of like, you know, the representation of uh, space travel and space science and how it's shown in film and television, mm -hmm. if you could change something about how these things are shown in film and television, what's something that like, what's something that you would like to see the general public not experience as much in how they take in how your job works? Let's see. How would I? What would I? I th I think that <clears throat> I think that uh, it, what you it's tough because you know what goes into film or television is is you know the ex it, it's the stuff that exciting that's exciting and things have to be compressed right. So right. I think some of it is just you know the reality is that um, you know we were talking before about these mission development timelines and stuff like that and it, it's long and people put uh, just you know they they really invest you know yes they're passionate but they're also you know they're putting in you know, big chunks of their, you know, life, relatively speaking, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, a couple months and then I'm, I'm finished or something. And one of the things that I've been impressed with, and again, I don't know if you could, it doesn't really translate to film and television is that um, especially the folks on the science side, they will sort of wring out every last bit of information out of whatever comes back from these spacecraft. It, it, it's phenomenal. You know, they can take little, little ancillary bits of information and synthesize it into, oh, well, that implies, and there's this whole story that they can tell from it, sort of from the, the, the uh, little 
leftover crumbs from the main measurements of, of uh, that were done uh, for instruments and stuff like that. So it's sort of, there's almost a Sherlock Holmes sort of sleuth, sleuth uh, kind of uh, aspect to things. And so maybe there's some, some story uh, somewhere where, where people, you know, people are uh, doing just some, some research with the uh, old musty data and come up with, you know, oh, I think it's incredible. Like, oh, there is life here. We've had the signature of life somewhere. It'd be, be like a fun story. So we had talked about, you know, we're going to send you the audio of this before we uh, make it go public because, you know, you got to run it by your work and there mm-hmm. are some things that are, are classified. So I'm not, I'm not asking. Oh, no, no, I, I think, <laughs> no, not at all that way. It's, uh, it, it's just, they, you know, I think that uh, there's just an interested uh, uh, making sure that I didn't say anything really stupid. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I can guarantee you, you didn't say anything as stupid uh, as me or as Jacob did with the Mars thing. But <laughs> I want to, I want to have a little out of control in this episode too. So there's not, there's not stuff where like, if you disclosed it to us, you would go to prison like that type of I, shit. Oh, oh my God. No, no, this is, we're just, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, you, you work with NASA. the, you work with, you know, the department of defense too, right? Or is that well, more... other parts of other parts of the lab do I, I am just working on NASA spy and science spacecraft. So do you refer to them as NASHOLES? <laughs> that's not this my needs joke. to be edited out <laughs> that's not, at no, not at all not at all no i i should really though i'll see if i can because there must be some element uh, of butting heads i'd imagine uh not not really i mean i oh, think okay. i think that uh, yeah you know i'm sure i'm sure there is so you know again i'm i'm you know i'm relatively I'm down in the weeds, so to speak. You know, we're making, you know, computer boxes for spacecraft and blinkers are on and things like that. No, I actually, you know, it's one of the things that I have, that this job has taught me is that I think is, I think many engineers are perfectionists. You know, they, they, you know, they get out of school and, or even through school, you know, they're, you know, going for good grades and it's just, you know, very, and then you get into, especially if you're in something like this, base business where boy you know there's no fixing it if you you know so there if you if it if you know you launch something that's not quite right so again there's this perfectionist kind of thing that goes in so so the idea of being told hey you need to change stuff or here's a way you could do something better at first is very counterintuitive and not instinctive but what happens is what i've one of the things this job has taught me is that you know there's lots of reviews and instead of fearing them or or i don't say i don't worry about them or thinking oh gosh this is not a good thing is welcoming those reviews because everybody wants you know these things to be a success they are very expensive they're opportunities that don't occur very often. So this idea of, you know, we have reviewers who come in or, or even uh, maybe they're from NASA or NASA says, hey, you need to talk to those people over here and they can look over your shoulders and help out or, and conversely, we'll do that as well uh, for other organizations. And uh, that's something that you would think would be a lot of, there'd be a lot of conflict, but uh, they're actually, it's something that uh, is almost a form of, should be looked at as a form of partnership. And that's really kind of cool. It's, I think one of the areas where I've kind of uh, learned a lot or had some personal growth on the job. Waxing philosophical there, but. 
So there's one thing I wanted to ask, just because this is something that has been in the news lately, and you might be able to clear it up for some of our listeners. Uh, we recently lost Michael Collins, uh, who, of course, is mm -hmm. one of the three um, astronauts who went on part of the Apollo 11 mission, went to the moon. However, the news about Michael Collins revealed to many people who did not know that he didn't actually get to walk on the moon. Of the three men who went, he's the one who didn't get to do it. Right. And maybe it's just because I follow a lot of comedians on social media, but everyone's like, well, they must have. Come on, you can't let the guy get out for like half an hour. So maybe you could clear this up for everyone. Why is it so important that Michael Collins had to not walk on the moon when Aldrin and Armstrong did? I wish I had a good answer for you. My guess is that they, you know, they did at all times they needed to have somebody, you know, in there in the in the lunar module, basically, and that uh, his training, you know, they were very, you know extremely focused on their training and his training, you know, was doing whatever in the lunar module and it wasn't doing moonwalk training. And that's as simple as it was. I, oh, okay. But maybe there's another, a, a, a better story there somewhere. He drew the short straw. Yeah. <laughs> <He> drew... <laughs> I can't, I, 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 it's gotta be one of those things though, that, that is, you know, uh, what a great amount of uh, personal strength. Yeah. I'm just imagining him sitting in the module looking at Armstrong and Aldrin like high-fiving while like 30 feet in the air. Just be like, oh, it looks like they're having fun down there. <laughs> hey, what do you guys see? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to bring me something, right? You're going to bring me Yeah. <laughs> My capsule mates went to the moon and all I got was this stupid t-shirt. Right. <laughs> I walked on the moon and all I got was this stupid t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it is, uh, it, it, it is, I'm sure there's uh, probably some fairly uh, benign region reason, but uh, it makes for some good humor too. Yeah. To conclude, I have one last question for you, and it's a astronomical question, if you will. Not really. Oh. It's, it's, a, it's a broad question. From your perspective, right. Rich, what is the biggest reason, the primary reason why exploring the great beyond is so important? I would say, boy, there's 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 a bunch of reasons. But I, I would say it really has to do... it it comes back to benefit us not just our knowledge about how the earth was came to, came together but also for what is out there if we ever want to expand either in person or through you know robotic means and things like that so um, I think it it I think it just is uh, provides a fundamental benefit to the knowledge that humanity has for its its future and for its knowledge of its past. And, you know, you've always struck me as a guy that's thirsty for knowledge. You always want to know more. Oh, sure. Is, is I, an incredible quality because not all people possess that quality. Well, I, I but I think and I think, though, that that you know, that's the tough part of the question, though, is that I think that that in itself is a great draw for for many people but not for any not for everybody right so you can't say just like a because it's there argument is not necessarily going to be convincing for some people <clears throat> and so i think you know what you can do is you can go back and just 
take a look at and think about all the things that, or try to project forward all the things that the knowledge could be used for, but it's hard knowledge to get. So it's a slow process. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been very informative. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Um, and I, we just really appreciate your time. This has been very cool. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm it, great to, it, I, something I like talking about. So, all right, well, here's oh, to, thanks, to many more conversations about the great beyond. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. All right, thanks Rich, much. take it easy. Good to talk to you. Space is wild. <laughs> there's so much of it. Like there's, there's, I, there's too much of it. Th- I yeah, would say. there's too much space. Let's take it easy on the space, you guys. <laughs> let's just cool it down. We don't need this. How many planets in our eight planets in this? Let's make that a, a a clean, tight six. I can't believe Pluto got downgraded. It's too small, dude. I totally get it. There's asteroids in the asteroid belt that are bigger than Pluto. I think we talked about that in the episode. Yeah, we talked about because yeah. Rich was part of that mission to Pluto. Yes, of course. He didn't. He didn't go, but he he heard about it. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we head out of here, I just want to offer a quick statement to the lovely citizens of the state of Florida. You know what you did, and I will not be apologizing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Hell Interesting People. Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you are so inclined. Uh, I'm very excited about the guests that we have coming up, and I'm sure you're going to love hearing them talk as much as we loved talking to them. Uh, also, ratings and reviews help the show grow, so just leave ratings and reviews wherever you get this podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. I'm Jacob Rubin. And I'm Mike Ruby. And this is Hella Interesting People.